I'm not recording. You are. The human torch was denied a bank loan. There we go. I need the show notes. I don't have the show notes. I need my props. <laughs> you know, all they're going to hear is the zipper undoing. No, no. If I have this already, they don't hear anything. Welcome to Pixels and Puppets, the Operation Puppet Podcast, the only podcast to combine the subjects of gaming, tech, media, and puppets for no easily explainable reason. It is August 12, 2023. You are the internet. I am Kevin Blades. My pronouns are he, him, and this is episode 15 of Pixels and Puppets, the Operation Puppet Podcast. Joining me is my co-host, Jamie. His pronouns are he, him. I almost I almost jumped ahead, and then I caught myself. His pronouns are he, him. <gasps> it's Jamie, a.k.a. Scumboy. Great save. And we are Andrewless once again. Yeah, we, it's it's like we're, we're, we've hit our maximum threshold of Andrew, and he's got to go away on <laughs> us all the time. He's got, he's like, it's like in, in Arthurian legend, Lancelot had to go every now and then. He would never stay in court. He would have to go out to the woods. On a quest? To rest. Not to, on a quest, oh. just to recuperate, to rest. And, and this is how this is how this is Andrew's off in the woods. And then Gawain has the Green Knight. Oh, there's a whole. Let me don't even get. We're already going on Arthurian. And then there's Parzival. Oh, oh no, no. See, yes. he said the word. Yes. Look, if you want this to be the Parzival cast, we can. I I I, I, I can know, talk for hours about Arthurian. I know the secret switch. To get uh, this nope, to be the Arthurian nope, cast. No, nope, not falling for it. We're not doing it. Anyway, I hope Andrew's having fun. I Whatever. hope he, he saw a glacier today. I saw a picture of did, him seeing a glacier. Where'd you see? I don't, I don't see pictures oh, of glaciers. He, he puts it in our wrestling chat. Oh, I see. You have rest, secret wrestling chat. Um, that I'm happy I'm not invited to. I, see, you should be <laughs> thankful you're not in wrestling chat. Um, so I was thinking during the intro there is you should reach out to your, your good friend J.G. Thurwell and have him do a version of that <laughs> we intro. We were listening to some J.G. Thurwell before the podcast as we are wanting to listen to some music. We did not listen to any Tom Waits it before. Was, but, I mean, the, the. I haven't spent a lot of time with the, the. And <laughs> One of the, like, thank you, Matt Johnson, for making the hardest band name to Google. Well, I mean, ever. imagine working in a record store. Does this go under the, the or, or the? The, <laughs> the comma the. When I, when I was when I started when I started being in bands, I wanted to name our band um, Miscellaneous C. Ah, yes. Because <laughs> like, what would you do? What's what we go to shows? It's always let's uh, make our band harder to find. That's a good idea. We wanted to to name our band and guests, so we'd show up at all these shows where it says these people and guests. For the under forties, there were these things called. Rec- Record stores, yes, and you would you would look for records, which are uh, vinyl discs. For which, for some reason, actually, hipsters know vinyl. So for some okay. reason, the music would accumulate there. No one knows why. <laughs> um, but yeah, we should get JG Thurwell to do a uh, a pass on the uh, the pod theme. Oh, oh, in give, full like Venture Brothers. Give me give me a synthesizer and about three years, mm. and I'll, I'll I'll get it done. Don't worry. An infinite amount of monkeys with an infinite amount of synthesizers will eventually make nail. <laughs> and a swing band. Yes. Oh, yep. 
Okay, we listened to some pretty good music. It was it is. was an enjoy. I mean, not that the the Tom Waits is not enjoyable. It is also enjoyable. We but. always listen to apocalyptic music before yeah, the podcast. It's uh, it's, it's not <laughs> you that? know uplifting affirming music. We're it's not the, listening the Rainbow Connection before the podcast. And, and the other thing is that it's apocalyptic music from the eighties that's still extremely applicable now. I mean. I mean, that the bums count their blessings while they count their money is pretty applicable yep, to, to yep. today. Anyway. The poor drink their milk while the rich drink their honey. Mm-hmm. Hi. It's a good day. <laughs> it's a podcast with just me and Jamie. Congratulations. So it's going to be extra short. Yeah, like you last know, one. Like the last one that me and Jamie just did, it went overtime. I didn't add a whole bunch of stuff to Gizmotown. I mean, we could. No, I I, 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 I have. That's my oh. Gizmotown's my time to shine. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I was at it. Are we going to just move on? Yeah, why don't we go? I uh, think we should probably move on because we, there's so much. There's so much. There's puppets. There's puppets. And speaking of puppets, we are going to take a quick break and we will be back with the puppet pit. entered an alternate dimension. A dimension of fleece and fur, of foam and industrial adhesives. So I hope you have good ventilation. A signpost up ahead. Watch your step. You have just stumbled into the Puppet Pit. Welcome to the Puppet Pit, where we talk about the puppet side of Operation Puppet for the last two weeks, and there's a reason we haven't made a decision yet, or at least I haven't made a decision yet about the weekly thing. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's weighing more and more towards probably because stuff keeps happening. Stuff keeps happening, and I honestly don't remember. I don't remember that's, two weeks ago. That's the problem. This is up it, with right? It. It's like I don't. So usually we talk about the builds that I've done in the past two weeks. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I have not kept track of You've, what. Uh, you finished off some commissions. I finished some commissions. Which ones they were, I don't remember. I mean, I know there was a, an eyebrow mech monster, and there was the rainbow, rainbow small, small, and there was there was a greebly, no, yeah, greebly, but, yeah. but that was for indies. There's a whole oh boy, there's so many things, and, and then. Puppets came back into fashion. It turns out, yeah, this is one of the things is that the shop's actually been busier. The, I mean, we went through a long dry spell. The internet then, rolled uh, for damage, and they did critical <laughs> hit to the store's inventory. A, a, yeah, absolutely. So, so I have to restock. Is what it comes down to. No so, smalls. No, there are no smalls. No greeblies. There's currently one greebly. Oh, you you just so this week. I finished a great, so this was a very short week because Monday was a holiday. Yes, and, and, and Friday was both both the dentist and my my twentieth anniversary. So I kind of took some time, you know. I'm still waiting for your scheduled ocular ca- cast. Uh, <laughs> the ocular castigation. Castigation. Will yes. Uh, don't worry, but so I only had three build days this yes. week, so I had to figure out what to do with them. So I made a greebly, and I finished. And this is this is the exciting part. Well, I don't even remember what I called them. Humans. I called them. Humans? I I used Scarlet. Shout out Scarlet. I used Scarlet's recommendation because I was. All right. I liked P-Pole that I came out with. (laughs) I'm sure you did. It wasn't bad, but let's walk it back a little bit. So as y'all probably know. I make monsters. I yes. I want a T-shirt that says "I make monsters" because it's what I do. Mm-hmm. I like I like monsters. Humans are boring. 
there's a, re- there's a reason why if I'm playing a role-playing game and I have an option to not play a human, I will play anything but a human because I am a human. It's boring. It's, why would you do that? You need I Make Monsters as a t-shirt and one with Frankie on it that says, we need more eyeballs. <laughs> uh, yes. <clears throat> I think we could probably arrange both of those things. But anyway, so so I haven't done human-like characters. Until now, Jelly Roll is probably the closest. Yep. And honestly, even I'm not sure if Jelly Roll is supposed to be human. Was was the Smalley kind of human-y? I mean, no. Okay. It, was, it was definitely a furry. I mean, the Smalley is oh, that's made, right. You, made you, you made it with uh, fleece. And yeah. stuff. No, you fur. Fur, 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 yeah. fur, fur instead so of... So they were uh, both monsters. So, yes, that's right. So definitely. So I like I said, Jelly Roll, up until now, Jelly Roll is the closest. Or possibly your Nosferatu. Yes, he's he's definitely humanoid. He was he's human got the nose for it. He was human once. Yes. I was a human once. Count Orlock. Um, um, he's he's constantly judging me. I'll talk about it later. I'm I'm kind of amazed. I mean, you keep him in pretty bright sunlight, right? No, he's no? Uh, my 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 desk is about as far away from natural light that as you can get. That foam is yellowed quite a lot. Oh no, his his fingernails <laughs> and teeth are, uh, are 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 doing the job. I mean, thankfully, when I do stuff, I only when I'm doing raw foam, I know that it's going to yellow. Yes, so I make sure I, mean, I do stuff that will look good if it yellows. And, so. and, and Nosferatu, if anyone, should have yellowed. I mean, mm. it was black and white. You couldn't tell. But you know those claws yeah. were yellowed and those teeth were not pristine. No. Um, so up until now, I haven't done human characters mm-hmm. or human-like characters. But, you know, as I was going through the dry spell and thinking, well, you know, I really, I got to branch out, first of all. I have to do more a variety of things mm-hmm. because, you know, Monsters will only take you so far, it turns out. But when I decided I wanted, to, I was going to do human-like characters, I also had to make it something that I like. Mm-hmm. Because that's my whole bottom line. Absolutely. I wouldn't, I don't sell anything I wouldn't buy, right? That's my whole thing. So, so I had to come up with a way of doing them that wasn't super time-consuming. Because human characters obviously have features. They have ears and nose and stuff. And yep. things that are optional on monsters yes. are required on human characters, right? So so there are a little bit of extra work Yeah, uh, is what it comes down to. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I had to come up with a way of fabricating them that was that was fast enough and also to make like a design that I liked as well. So I don't do like caricature style, you know, puppets. I've, I've actually been asked by people, do you do, you know, lookalikes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, it's just not my thing. Um, but taking my cues, as always, from the early, early Muppet designs, particularly of Don Celine, um, who was like, you know, the original builder of Ernie and Bert. Yep. All, of the, all of the old Sesame Street designs. They're very, and like, you know, Wilkinson Watkins, that style of stuff, they're very abstract. Broad stroke Yeah, they're they're almost fever dreamy, right? There's this... Well, like Ernie and Bert, one's a football and the other one's a traffic cone. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, And that I can get behind. There's there's an abstraction from from humanness there that I really kind of dig. So so that's what I started focusing on. So that's what the new line is. They're called humans because I was I was playing around with some ideas and then Scarlet came up with human and it's like, yep, okay, sure. Who we'll, live we'll, with the human. humans. It's like it's like a like a troll is saying it. Um and you just you looked to real life and made Gary Newman. 
I kind of made Gary Newman. It's hilarious. I didn't it's, really mean to. It's really to. good. Uh, but, you know, and this is all part and parcel with the 3D printer thing mm. because one of the things that the first human um, uh, on the shop has, uh, is offering is these 3D printed eye shells. Custom with. eyes. Custom eyes. No one else got these eyes, baby. It's it's not, you know, a ping pong ball or a <laughs> no. uh, foam sphere sliced cleverly. It's, uh, it, it, this is... They're designed from scratch. Bespoke. Yeah, they are bespoke eyes. So, and I think they look pretty good. They look great. Um, and of course, because it's me, is like, I, I was like, well, what color hair? Black, obviously. Clearly. I mean, uh, nah, duh. So, so his design gives me very strong um, the focal point of the new Muppet movie, the first one, the oh, the humanish yes, yes. Muppet Walter. Yes, Walter. Walter. He's got very Walter. He's pretty Walter. Yeah, um, which is really nice. It makes him very recognizable uh, right off the bat. Yeah. Him, it makes it very recognizable <laughs> right off the bat. Uh, what, one of the things, of course, one of the reasons I've I've kind of shied away from doing human style characters up until now is because, well, obviously, monsters don't necessarily need clothes. Mm, yes, humans yes. definitely do. So, and I'm not a tailor. That's a whole separate discipline. And yes, I know how to sew. That's a whole other universe of discipline. Mm-hmm. So, so I haven't really, you know, because that's daunting. Mm. To, to take up a whole new discipline just to be, you know, a costumer for a figure. And it's not the same as just making clothes because you have to make them to scale. You have to make them at the right proportions. It's a whole other thing. So those people who make, like, there are specialists who just make costumes for puppet figures, mm-hmm. right? That's a whole thing in the entertainment industry. Um, and I think there's a there's a workshop coming up where, where they're interviewing people who, like, designed and built the clothing for Miss Piggy, yes. right? Like specifically that. And Literal couture puppet making. Yeah, exactly. It's that level of detail. So I've kind of shied away from it. Now, of course, there are a few easy solves mm-hmm. for this kind of thing. One of them being infant clothing. Yes. Now, infant clothing, the problem, of course, is it usually looks like infant clothing. Yeah. Um. So, but you can find some things that kind of fit. Now, it turns out, the, the pattern that I'm using for the very first one of these is the one that I built uh, on stream that you can go and watch the watch the um, the playlist for uh, design your own puppet pattern from scratch. So this is a hundred percent hand drawn by me and you can watch the process that size of pattern mm-hmm. this is new information for me even um, the, the a preemie size of clothing yep. Perfect fit. Nice. Absolutely perfect. So I got a bunch of like, they're actually little onesies, like little. The snap know, bottom. Yeah, snap uh, bottoms. So all I did was I cut the bottom off and I hemmed it. Yep. It turns out I hemmed it correctly. I didn't even know. I just assumed. Fold over and run it through. I folded it over and I ran it through the sleeve. And uh, yeah, so so I wanted to do like, I'm, I'm intentionally calling back to a Sesame Street kind of vibe, yep. right? Or at least early Sesame Street vibe. Because obviously I am. Because that's what people want. So, yes. So or at least that's not, not only what people want. It's what I like. So I those two have to meet. That's the thing. I'm never going to make something I don't like. That's that's the whole thing. Right? We do know some really good seams people. We so do. if you end up with a commission where price is no mm-hmm. object and they need a mariachi outfit, <laughs> you do have people you could probably tap. 
that would be I able mean, to turn out. No doubt. Um, this is just this is just the beginning. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, stuff. the problem is if you use them on every outfit, you would quadruple the price well, of the this, puppet. This is the always the problem, right? And the thing that I always face with the shop is that since I'm selling to both professionals mm-hmm. and people who are brand new, who don't know what the costs are, who don't know anything, who are just getting their feet wet, I have to be able to accommodate both. Yes. Right. So that's the dance I have to do is to figure out where that middle ground is, right? And what I can do to to accommodate both, but but still keep my costs to a point that I can I can do this and provide something that's going to look good on camera but will will still be at a price that I'll, more people can afford. And that's my whole thing with Operation Puppet is I'm trying to like broaden i'm not trying to get a bigger slice of the pie i'm Mm -hmm. trying to increase the size of the pie right that's That's right you're making the pie bigger for everybody that's the whole thing and this is why you know when it's like me and tom stewart shout out tom uh for example are talking it's like we should in theory be competitors but we're not no and and this is why it's because it's not you know tom makes his stuff i make my stuff whoever likes his stuff buys his stuff whoever likes my stuff buys my stuff hopefully they'll buy both but and this is this is the other side of it is like people who buy puppets rarely buy just one mm, yes <laughs> right like people get collections yep. that's the whole thing so it's not really a competitor thing it's a it really is about bringing this to more people because it is still relatively small as a genre mm-hmm. it used to be much bigger it's it's not it has now gone back into the underground but that's okay yeah because all that means is that there's it's a more concentrated thing right there's there's it, those who want it really want it yes right? so that's that's cool that's it's a nice place to be um i've gone completely off on a tangent so. speaking of customize look at this how how are your experiments in 3d printing going <sighs> so i you know this is why we should move to weekly because so much has happened in the past you've, two weeks. You've uh, you've gone through the two week hyper accelerated three D printer <laughs> breeder reactor. I really have. It's there's been so much. It so. went from novel ideas for eye rigs to you know what I could print my own doll joint eyes and hey look I can make them any shape I want. That's kind of where I am right now. Yeah. So I mean like the last podcast I literally just taken the damn thing out of the box. Yes. Right. Like we're, we were we're it's we, gone so we were looking at a cube that had spaghetti on the box. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Wow. So, like, since then, there's been a couple of build streams, yep. both of which featured 3D printing. Yep. There's been a couple of dedicated 3D, 3D printer printing streams. streams. Yep. That's the whole thing I'm doing now. I'm not sure how productive it is, but it doesn't cost anything. So, I mean, you know, it's fine. Why not? Just throw that out there. Um, but yeah, I've got to the point where I am now building stuff. So, the first couple of builds that have used 3D prints. Have gone out, are done. So yeah. the very first one was the eyebrow mech uh, monster. Yep. Um, that I did, I guess, two weeks ago. I don't even know. Very good looking eyebrows, like very regular. Like the, the, when you get the um, the bent wire, there's always a little bit. There's of always some yeah variation in them. Whereas the 3D print, they both both perfectly they're, fit they're over perfectly the even, ping pong so. balls, and I want to work on lowering the profile a little bit, but getting them closer to the eye. But, but when that's, you're, when that's you're in control of the tolerance of the eye and the eyebrow, yeah. you're you're golden. Yeah. Like you're you're set. 
Yeah, it's fine. But you've been you've got these teardrop shaped, not even teardrop, oval shaped eyes. So that that's are what I'm doing right fantastic. now. Fantastic. Is I'm working on a new. So the problem with so what I've been doing so far are kind of uh, half shell, like half like hemispherical eyes. Yeah. Right, and they're fairly deep. Yeah. They're, they have they have a lot of height to yes. them. Yes. And so because of that, I can make a shaft on the inside that you can insert a threaded rod into. And so you can make them removable. You can make them, you know, very easy to put on, take off, um, and very easy to mount. Now, for anything shallower than that, you won't be able to do um, like a, a threaded rod and a shaft because the 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 depth of the shaft yep. that has to go in is deeper than the eye itself. But you right? know you know what you can do for uh, really shallow eyes is print um, uh, M series machine screw posts Uh-oh. in them. Oh, and on the plate on the inside, you can do the countersinking because they have countersunk machine yeah. screws that will slot right into that, be flush, and drive into the eye and you can have four in various spots in the eye and it will lock I in. Were, I was going to be brainstorming this live. <laughs> I was, I would just thought of this because you're saying yeah, you want, yeah. if you want to do a shallower eye, instead of doing something that receives a large so, shaft, you have small uh, circular additions that have a hole in the middle yeah. that's just a little smaller than the thread of a machine it's screw. A back, it's a back plate. You're yeah. describing a back plate. So you, you just, uh, you have your plate with a countersink that's on the inside of the puppet and then the eye on the outside and the screw will run through the fabric and then yeah. into these little posts. The problem I could foresee there is like being able to get a, a literally a screwdriver small enough that you could stick it up inside the head to be able to tighten. You, you might have to have like a, a slot in the back of the head to come yeah. in. And you'd access those. You have those. to mount the eyes before you close. You the head. also don't have to use incredibly large screws, so you could do like a small Allen key machine screw where yeah. you've got the the right angle Allen yeah. key, yeah, and that uh, is relatively low profile for working inside of a, a skull. That's not a bad idea. Um, um, but I mean, you just want to have it. Uh, there's enough in there that the screw bites in, um, pushes the plastic aside, and it really tightens up. Yeah. And then you're uh, you're golden. Like it's got four points holding on either the outside. You could put you know uh, one, two, three on the top, one, two, three on the bottom, just mm-hmm. for proper uh, fitting. Because you don't want the middle to look like it's popping out. Well, if it's just the is, sides. This is one of the reasons why I you've seen the design for the the, the shell eyes. Where you know, you've there's, got there's a washer on the back that makes sure that the foam sits flush yes. against. Yeah. This would be the, the washer is the entire screw the at this point, yeah. the back plate. But if you do three screws, like one on one side, one on the middle, one on the, the, the other side, and then at the bottom, one on the one side, one on the middle, one on the other side, it would keep it nice and tight against the uh, fleece on the outside, uh, give you whatever minimal uh, shape you want, and you can make them like small, big. You could do like spiders and have eight little ones and just a single screw holding them in. One of the problems there is the fact that it's got to go through the foam and the fleece. Right? So, you'd, so you'd have to either pre-do a hole or have a – they've got self-trapping machine screws that have a little sharp bit at the end yeah, that, yeah. that will break through and then go into the thing. And then and actually the point of a self-tapper is it makes the hole just the right size so and lo- then – Longer screws is, is – Self-tappers <laughs> don't have to be super long. 
but these would have to be to get through a half inch foam. Oh, and yeah, the, but right, machine like, screws come in every length. These right. are what people use to close everything. Like if you have a product that is uh, like a MacBook that's got little tiny screws holding it shut, those are yeah. little machine screws. Right. Then there's super long ones for the really long run. So, I mean, you can get them in any size and almost any length. Well, until we perfect that. But I think I think that could be because it keeps it right out of the way of the person's hand on the inside. You, you've nailed the, the actual problem is the fact that when you have something that's coming in from the eye shell itself poking into the puppet head, you you, you don't can, have a you control. Can of possibly it. Yep. poke the. But this would keep it flush against the foam. Yeah. And actually, you could sink into the foam a little bit and actually keep it. Oh, that and that's exactly what the back plate. Yeah, you know, or the or the washer thing does. Um, but until then, the current design that I'm that I'm mucking around with. So the way that you normally do, or normally the way that most professional puppets would do removable, replaceable eyes mm-hmm. or features like noses or whatever uh, uh, on a puppet is to is to literally like epoxy a, a, a bolt onto the back of the eye, yep. and then use a wing nut. And attached on the inside, and, which and means that's brutal because whatever slack there's yeah, on the inside so is it's going to break your knuckles. What I'm currently messing around with is basically that, but doing it all 3D printed. Yep. Um, now there's a couple of challenges there, of course. When you 3D print something, you need to make sure it's got a flat base. Yes. Right. If you have a shell with a with a post a post sticking down, there's no way to orient that so that it has a flat base. You. Could so, do it with a socket. Hang on, hang on. I'm not even done yet. Okay. You're way ahead of me. Or I'm way ahead of you because that's already done. The first experiment was to just, I just wanted to see, because mm-hmm. again, I'm brand new to this stuff, right? So the first thing I tried was printing it upside down. Yep. So that- The so curved that part was it was like a, It was a bolt. Yeah. Exactly. That didn't go so well. Because the supports? The supports were too much and it was just the the the, the edge that should be finished, yeah. like the front side was just a mess. Yeah. It was just like, there Rough. was no way I could sand that down to be usable. Yeah. The other, the other part was great. Yeah. But it was- not usable. Um, so then what I settled on was exactly what you just suggested was that you make a little socket inside the eye that you screw the post into and then there's a nut that goes on the back, right? So that's literally currently what I'm printing. I don't even, I, I get to go over to my... I wasn't even going to say screw it in. I was going to say cyanacrylate um, because it really melts uh, 3D print and would really give you a so, good hold on the post with the threading. I do want to, these I do want to make removable. So I am. The actual post removable? The actual post Okay. Well, the post doesn't necessarily have to be removable. That I'm going to try hot glue to start with. Because it's it's a low temperature melt plastic, obviously. So the hot glue, this may be one of the few cases where hot glue is actually good. Super glue also works really good on 3D prints because it's a rough surface and it literally melts the two plastics together. And uh, it, it generally holds really well against uh, prints, especially prints of the same material. Right. Um, and that was I was gonna say is make a little divot. You can s- you put a little super glue in and just pu- push the post into That's it. Kind of what I've done, except yeah. for I've just literally made, made the, it so it screws the, in the screw threads. And yeah. Just but it's very short, right? Yeah. Um, so I so instead of even printing, with that, you might want to put a little. Uh, oh, I'm definitely super gonna, glue. Or, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna put glue in it for yeah. sure. Um, one way or the other. That's and the other thing is, I made it. It's a big chunky bolt or nut that yeah. goes on the back, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, it will still be poking into the head. Yep. But I've also made the post rounded, so it's if if the performer's hand touches it, and chances are with these head shapes, it won't. Yes. Um, again, that's another. It's a situational thing, right? It, yes. The it depending on the head shape. 
those posts may not ever come near the performance. You might not hand, want to put so. it in a small. Exactly. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't put it in a small. Um, but, but think about uh, machine screws. It's, it's interesting. Or you can even be, we can even like make something new. This is the whole thing yeah. about the 3D printing. We yeah. can even just like come up with a solution yeah, and then absolutely. make it, right? That's the, that's the brilliant thing about it. So, yeah. Going well. It's there's some there's some experiments that have not worked out. The other this is the hilarious thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing just before you arrived, I was like, okay, so we know printing it upside down as a bowl isn't going to work. Yeah. How about the other way? And then we just let it build the scaffolding. Right? Yes, that would be a heck of a scaffold. Did it you run was, it in the slicer? I could show. Oh, I did, and I let it print. Until it got to the point where it was printing the dome. Yeah. So I printed the, out the entire scaffolding. And you know what? It would have worked. Yeah. But there was so much wastage. Like yeah. there was so much scaffolding. What I wanted to see there was like, because I've never done this before, I'm like, what if I just did this? What if I just let it go and see what it comes up with? Mm-hmm. Right. Is it even possible that I can pull it, the post out of that and it will be usable? Yeah. Turns out. Yes, the post was actually fine. Yeah. Um, and it would have worked. It was just a lot of wastage, right? Yeah. So I think doing it in three pieces instead of two, mm-hmm. right, is, is the right way to go. Just make sure everything's got a flat base and then you're good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that's fantastic. So, yeah, it's it's been... Problem solving, figuring it out. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, I don't even know if we should talk about this in Gizmo. Probably not going to talk about it in Gizmo Town because it is related to puppets, mm-hmm. but... Relative to figuring out the 3D printing stuff, of course, is the fact that I want to do some more interesting shapes. Yeah. Right. And like Tinkercad is the thing that everybody uses to make, you know, basic 3D printed objects. But I want to do things that are a little bit more, not complex, but have a little bit more flexibility to their shape. Yeah. And so, you know, not having access to commercial 3D software anymore. Let me tell you, I got a whole history with that that we can Mm -hmm. go into. But... You know, Lightwave 3D, you yeah. started on the Amiga, I'm sure you know it. Yep. Um, yeah, that's what I started with. Uh, that's what uh, Star Wars Legacy was done with in Lightwave 3D. Fantastic. Um, so I do have some familiarity with 3D modeling. Now, I tried, when it was newly born to the world, Blender. Oh, yes. And it was not a good experience mm-hmm. after having come from a professional package like Lightwave. And I went, nope, and I never looked at it again. But, yep. of course, nowadays it has matured quite a bit. Um, so is I have... Blender free? Blender is absolutely free. It's free and open source, and yeah. you can just go and download it and use it. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, however, there is still a very steep learning curve. Yeah, it it's, it's the pro- same thing with the GIMP. If, if you're used yeah. to Photoshop and you try to use the GIMP, which is the GNU Image Manipulation uh, Program. Um, which is what we prefer to call it. It's really rough. Mm. Like what should be two to three clicks is usually buried under six menus and That's... in a dialogue box. And it doesn't make sense. Um, that's it exactly i but, hair i hair shirted gimp for a little while yeah. and it's just it's real hard to do anything yeah it really is um and blender is very much similar yeah. to, to that whole thing it's like the things you think should take one click take four yeah kind of thing, right but if you accept that 
and you go, well, you, know, you can you can do quite a lot with Blender. And, and how is exporting it to uh, 3D? Completely native. Like you can export it to a 3D printer file. Like it's, really? Yeah, Does it have its own built uh, in, slicer? Built in. It doesn't have a slicer, but okay. you can export it to an STL file. Then and you then, take that and STL that just file, goes into your slicer. Drop into the slicer, slice it up. Huh. And it's all good. I was wondering if they had tried to one one stop shop it, but I mean everyone's got their own slicer, so it doesn't make sense yeah, to reinvent the so wheel there. So what I've been doing, so I made a custom eye shape that I really liked. It was kind of oval, but had a bit of a weird twist to it. And mm-hmm. I made that. Then I brought that into Tinkercad because Tinkercad can import stuff. Yes. Right. And then I, I kind of cleaned it up and I, 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 I cut off some weird polygons that were going there. Here's the interesting thing about Tinkercad. Tinkercad does not use a polygonal model. It doesn't use like triangular polygons the same way that most 3D packages do. I don't yeah. know what they're doing, but it's different. Really? The whole thing about Tinkercad is it's based around Boolean operations. Gotcha. And I love me some Booleans. Well, that's how all the Tron stuff worked. Yeah. It was uh, add this shape, take away this shape from that shape, and that now you have a more exactly, complex curve. Exactly yeah. how how uh, Tinkercad works. Yeah. and. That's how I did most of my most of my modeling that I've ever done has been either extrusions or booleans. Yes, right. So well, extrusion um, is technically a boolean operation. You're just extru- yeah, increasing. Now, unfortunately, it. Yeah, unfortunately, Tinkercad can't do extrusions, but yeah. Blender can. Yeah. So I do some stuff in Blender. I take that into Tinkercad. I clean it up in Tinkercad. Then I export that to an SDL file. Drop that into Cure 3D Slicer, slice it up, and print it, and we're good. It's too bad that Autodeck didn't keep the community version of um, Fusion because it was a yeah. really good – it had both extrusions and Booleans. It was really like – you could take a shape – and apply it to something and then say negative, and now you've got that yeah. shape removed. That is exactly what Tinker. You yeah. can take any shape that you've and got then, and then make it into a hole. Yes. And then combine the objects yeah. in it. And the brilliant thing about Tinkercad, shout out Tinkercad, is that it's non destructive. You, so you could re. You can go back. You can, like, you're, you're literally grouping objects, yeah. right? So you group a hole with a, with a solid, but you could always ungroup them, take the objects out, and do yeah. something else. It's, it's, Brilliant. Love Tinkercad. Um, so anyway, that's the thing about the 3D printer thing. So that's what I'm literally, I want to go right now and look because I don't, oh. yeah, my screensaver is Your on. screensaver kicked in because you had Phil, to. Phil, Phil, Phil. Hey, so uh, while Kevin is going to move his mouse so we can both look at his monitor to see how the print is going because he has a webcam pointed at it and then uh, he's. He's it, it's oh it's done. It's done. Go, it. go pop it off. I'm getting it. Um, yeah, this is exciting. We're getting to see new prints. This is prototyping in process, and I only have to talk and fill dead air until Kevin gets back with this uh, 3D object. Last I checked, it was white. Oh, he's bringing the whole whole platter. The whole bill plate. Oh, that is whoop. My mic went again. Um, that is looking really good. It is, it is almost right. teardrop shaped. Here we go. So what we have is the nut. Yep. I see that. We have the shell. That, that nut is relatively little, low profile. The little shaft. Yeah, is. Right. See what I did there? Yeah, that's I, This good. is great podcast material. Let me tell you. I mean, you could, you could put pictures up on the discord. I could. And people could join the discord. Shout out to the Discord. Okay, so that so will just... You, you tell me. Can you thread that in? Can you thread that in, though? Absolutely. Yes! That's pretty positive, my friend. I mean, just drop a little glue in there. I mean, even even that, and then uh, just run the uh, 
the the rounded shape to start the the screw See? it's it's brilliant actually I, I threaded that backwards because it, it should be flat side this yeah, way yeah that's fine that's really nice look at that and if it was going to be a permanent install you could even melt this to uh, to keep the the nut in place yep look at that that's really nice look at this that's uh that we'll, is we'll ingenuity. This will this will be the show art. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I guess three D printing's pretty good. So would you say it has impacted you positively for uh, I puppet would, building? I would say that three uh, D printing's pretty good for puppet building. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. It's just a great go. watching, uh, like getting updates on the Discord. Join the Discord. Join the Discord. Um, of the things that you've been printing and trying, like those different eye rigs. You're like, yeah, this is great, and then you're like, oh wait, uh, it, it physically, yeah, there was- <laughs> I can't get it through the fabric. <laughs> To move. This is one of the Achilles heels, of course, of 3D printing is that since you're doing all the designing up in your head. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is instructive in that it's like there's a, there's a, there's a real point to being practical and building with physical materials as well. Yeah. Because like I designed this whole eye rig and then I realized, oh wait, this won't work. But all you had to do is go back two steps to when yes. you had the bent wire as the trigger and then it works perfectly. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's not like you, you invested thousands of hours and uh, hundreds of dollars into prototyping this thing. And then it couldn't, <laughs> it physically couldn't work with a puppet. Well, and that's it, right? It was, you know, three days and your own time. And, uh, then you could turn around because you imagine trying to do this oh. on, on even a, a tiny scale by sending this out, like the, you design something, send it out, you get it back. It's it printed at your own cost. This is the joy of it, right? It's because like, we can do this now. This is this, this is the level we're at. You're, you're that, out filament and a little bit of time. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, wow, that was a bit chaotic, but I mean, we look at this, look at this thing. I'm, I'm obsessed with this thing now. It's, it's really good. You know what this means? What's that? The fact that I've got this shaft that this, that this little, you know, thread into, yeah, will thread into, I could use this for anything. Absolutely. This is, I've, I've now got a standard, I've got a standardized version of this that I can use for anything. Horns, my dude. Horns, noses, ears, you name it. Like, if it goes on a face, I got it. Literal um, non-Velcro whatnots up here. Exactly. Oh, exciting times. All that's, right, so join the Discord. And if you, if you got, you know, say you got like a $5 burning a hole in your pocket, you could you could get us a coffee. If you've enjoyed this chaos, you could, you could actually support this chaos. After you and, join the Discord and talk to us about this chaos. <laughs> you can, you can see the pictures of the Discord and then to cover our hosting costs for both the podcast and the website and everything we do, it would be very much appreciated if you could throw us a couple of bucks and go to ko-fi.com slash Operation Puppet. Any donation is greatly appreciated. Everything we do, of course, will be publicly available um, for free, so it's never required, but... And we love is, you either way. Either way, it's all good. We we totally understand that, you know, you may not be in a position Absolutely. to... I mean, I, I know I'm not for most of the things I would... I was lots of things I would love to support that I can't afford to support. You know what? Here's the other side of that coin. If you can't support us financially, which is totally understandable... 
spread the word. Yeah. Like share with your friends, like literally talk to other humans. That and, would, that's the absolute, you know what? More than money. That's what we need is more and, people. And your time is a currency spending time listening to us or watching any of the, the live streams. That's all appreciated. Exactly. That's uh, that's, that's something you're doing need, for us. We need speaking. You know, here we go. We're wrapping it around. We need the eyeballs. I, we, hey, we need eyeballs. We need more eyeballs. We definitely need eyeballs. All right. I think after that insane chaos, we, we are going to take an actual break and we will be back with Gizmo Town. The sky above the port was the color of a YouTube video hit with a copyright takedown. Around the rainy streets, people huddled with neon umbrellas and impractical goggles. Here we fight the corporate arcologies and get excited about phones. Welcome to the mean streets of Gizmo Town. The Gizmo Town thing ended just as the 3D printer started. We're looking at the webcam feed. I can't believe we're so focused on this thing now. This is, this is what Gizmo Town is. The promise of Gizmo Town <laughs> is an FDM printer in every household. Uh, welcome to Gizmo Town, where we talk about tech. And I didn't think we were going to have a deck nook, but we have a little deck nook. I managed to save the deck nook from the, the grips of, uh, of getting dropped off the podcast show notes. There is, there is a deck nook. Um, so just the other day, I'd say Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, um, there were rumors up leading up to it because people found some, um, some stub store pages on Steam. But Valve is now selling certified refurbished Steam decks mm. uh, for about 20% off the retail price. So if you were looking at a Steam deck, but maybe they're a little too much because even, even the sales have only been 10% off. So this, yeah. is, this is a bit more than that. So if you were thinking about it, and it was, you know, the lowest one was just a little too much. Look at look at a refurbished one. These are from Valve. They've been refurbished by Valve. They've still got a year warranty. Um, and I mean, just just uh, take a look and get in because it's a good time to get into handheld PCs. Have you ever got a uh, refurbished anything? I have dealt with a few refurbished things in the past. Because as I understand it, the whole thing about refurbs are like, they're basically new. Like they're, everything about them is as certified as it would be if it came off the factory floor. It's a horrible term, but uh, when something is made, there is a, a window called infant mortality. So something Dear come on. It's what it's it's it, in in product development. So it comes off Dear the line. Dear product development people, stop it. It comes off the line. It tests fine at QA. It ships. It doesn't work, or right, it right. works for a period of time, then doesn't work. Yeah, Dear like a, Asus, a, a faulty capacitor <laughs> on the board, or a uh, a tombstone resistor that doesn't cause any problems until it's been on for a couple hours, and right, then it's not doing right. a thing. So there's all kinds of little things that can happen, faulty components, things that are, you know, they shook loose in transit and are still touching and still touching and still touching. The thermal expansion happens, they're no longer touching. Uh, so things will stop working. Um, so usually within those first few months, which is this infant mortality uh, window, um, they will usually take it back, no questions asked, and then send you a new one 
and then they will repair whatever's wrong with this one because they've got test jigs. They just take the main board out, they put it on a jig, and it says this isn't working. Right. There's a whole bunch of test points on it. There's a, it's a, it's so I, I deal with uh, one of my coworkers does hardware development, and the jig is called a bed of nails. It's just a bunch of pins sticking up that engage with various points in the board, and right. then runs electrical connectivity tests yeah and it knows this pin should be able to see this pin this pin should be able to see this pin that detects all the traces and all the things it's fascinating it's so this is why this is one of the reasons why i mainline uh, how it's made various times because (laughs) i love seeing how things are made and i love things like these test jigs because they make these jigs just to sink a thing into the pogo pins connect to it it runs some charge electricity through it and then it comes back and says, yes, it's good, or no, this part fails. And then it goes back. So when they get these back, they more than likely just put them on the bed of nails, see what's wrong, repair it, and now they've got a basically a brand new Steam Deck, it's but someone has bought it. It has gone yeah. through RMA. They can no longer say it is brand new. Yeah. So they have to sell it as a refurb. And generally, like, so... There are things on Amazon that say refurb that I will not touch. But if Dell is selling a refurb laptop or a refurb desktop like from Dell, yeah. Yes. Especially when it says it's got full warranty and everything That's else. That's the certified thing, yes, right? That yeah. is a certified. So, it's you can be you can be confident that anything that you buy as a certified refurb is every bit as reliable as anything you would buy new. It will I believe work, is what the point is. Or Valve will get you a new one. Yeah. Like that's just where it's at. So, it, there's no downside. I know people look kind of squirrely about yep. like oh, this was used and, and broken and But if you want to get a Steam Deck and then uh, spend the money you saved on a uh, 500 uh, gigabyte or uh, terabyte uh, SSD, knock yourself out. It's a, it's a great yep. thing to have. And honestly still, I mean, I know there's a whole bunch of contenders on the horizon. Um, but the deck is still pretty it's, much It's the price the to one. performance. Like yeah. the the ROG Ally Better specs, like just on paper, but it's more money, and you know there's some design problems. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will set that right. I, oh, yeah, I, I really yeah, hope. Yeah. But the fact that they haven't completely washed their hands and walked away, yeah, is, that is a good sign. That is, they, they've been doing work. Yeah. And there's all these other ones. That, that no, no one of the size of Valve or Asus are really throwing their hats in the ring. It's a lot of smaller um, Hong Kong yeah, and like, uh, you gotta get, get it on the Indiegogo Chinese for, yeah. uh, companies doing this. Um, so I mean, they're they're more money. They tend to be more powerful, but you're also waiting like a year to two years to get some of these things. Yeah. So. Um, the Steam Deck is the the place that you get in at the, the the lowest price and this gigantic library. It's the reliable thing yeah. right now, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a small deck nook, but I wanted to let people know they're selling these no, things at a, at a, a, a certified refurb. It's a great way to get into one if you've got one and you need a second one. This is a great way to get a second one. Um, so I mean, well, just, I want a second one. I mean. <laughs> Like, what if their partner wants one? They see, they, oh, this okay. is really good. That's, I want, a, I well, want that's one. That's that me, though. That's, a, that's another person. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you've maybe you're getting one for somebody. Fair maybe enough. there's a nephew Fair that enough. you're you're like, yeah, this it nephew makes deserves an excellent this. Christmas gift. That's right. Stocking stuffers. Get them for your family. <laughs> 
All right, there's the deck nook. So here we go. I get to be angry about computers. I mean, don't you know? I've got you're within vicinity of two Macs right now. You got to, you know, I, I, and I didn't spit on them gotta, either time I was close to them. You've had a Mac Mini that's been trying to commit suicide for <sighs> some is, time. It really has, and I've been like, no, 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 you're good. I'm going to give you a new hard drive. You're going to be so good. It is going to be good. So I got a Mac Mini. It was free. It was decommissioned at work, and it had a very low life at work. Um, no wonder you're so quick to be mad at it. It was free. Yeah. <laughs> but the thought of spending $2,000 to replace it has me a little frothy if I wanted to get a new <laughs> Mac Mini. Um, so it was my Plex server. It served a web page, and it had a couple other things on it. And... It was fine until it wasn't. It had this hybrid drive. It was a spinning rust hard disk with a smaller SSD, and they weren't physically merged together. It was a, a discrete M.2 drive and a discrete spinning rust drive, and they were in some sort of weird logical volume. And <laughs> Apple being Apple, it fell apart occasionally, and this was just accepted. If you go to the forums, it's like, yeah, no, this happens every so often, and you have to reinstall macOS because it's divorced. Some of it lives on this SSD, and some of it lives on the and hard this drive. this was how the hardware came by default? This is how it shipped. You could either get it with this uh, hybrid drive, which is faster because it loads some mm. of the operating system on the SSD and the rest of it on the hard drive. This is going to be pretty old, though, right? Uh, this was, uh, I mean, the... Actual Mac Mini, like the, the generation was 2014, but it was bought more recently than 2014. You know how Apple has long product yeah, cycles? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a 2014 Mac Mini, but it was a lot newer than that. It was before the, the last refresh. Yeah. Um, all right. No, that all makes sense. All but makes sense. It, the, it, it was theoretically faster, but it was not more reliable on a long scale. And they had a habit of breaking. Well, it broke. And I had to rebuild it, and it booted fine. And I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, another, I'd say, four weeks, six weeks went by, and it broke again. And I'm like, I am not doing this again. I'm just going to buy a new uh, SSD. Like, it's not even an M2 drive. It was just an SSD in it. And I formatted it. It booted fine. And then anytime I rebooted it, it would just sit at the Apple logo progress bar exactly halfway, not moving. <laughs> Eight hours, 12 hours, it will not boot. Hmm. So the solution is, is to go into internet recovery and reinstall Mac OS. So I did that three that times. That sounds like a poor solution. Three times. <laughs> and I'm like, the fourth time it happened, I'm like, I, so I can't reboot this machine. I can get it up and I can't reboot it. Hmm. This is not ideal, but, you know, uh, maybe I'll just won't reboot this machine anymore. Maybe that's just the solution. It'll sound like a vacuum cleaner because it's got all these processes that I can't kill running that makes the uh, fan go like 9-0. But this last time, it wouldn't even reboot after a reinstall. It would do the one minute remaining on the initial boot and just sit there. Right. For I think uh, I, I set it to uh, reinstalling overnight, and it had been sitting at that, that screen for about six hours. So I have to ask, just because it's what I would have done. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, why did you keep Mac OS on it? 
Um, <laughs> it was the well, path of least resistance. I could get it on it really easily because it's got an internet recovery. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and there were uh, some things. Like, it was my only way of accessing iMessage on, right. okay. yeah, on yeah, my yeah. computer at home because I could just VNC into it and then resize the window down just to uh, iMessage. And that way I didn't have to pull out my phone every time I code because my coworker will not text me he will not text me or message me in a way that i can receive on windows it is only iMessage, and they do not make an iMessage client for windows well now they do there's a program program called beeper yep. that uses a matrix uh server that will let you uh, intercept it which i now use but before that i had to literally i had a, a vnc See. window sized down to the size of a well, iMessage window i got you you're good so I- that was why i kept it no, no judgment. No, it, it's fine. I, and I get it. Now that I don't need that, and it was becoming such a pain, and like literally, I couldn't couldn't do it. I uh, couldn't get it to boot. So I went on Amazon, and I've been looking at because every time it died, I would go to Amazon and get a little more serious about looking at it, uh, at uh, Nooks, which is next unit of computing. It's it's very small. It's generally laptop processors. You've been talking about a Nook forever. I, I have literally. For the last two physical upgrades of my p- computer, said the next one's going to be a Nook. It's going to be a relatively powerful Nook that I can just face them out to the back of my monitor, maybe throw an eGPU on it if I want a, a game, and that's it. Um, so each time this thing died, I would more more seriously go and look at different Nooks. It got to the point last time that I narrowed it down to B-Link because they had a whole bunch of different processor options. And their prices were relatively good. So this time it died, and I'm like, done. I'm buying one. Yeah. So I did a little bit of research. You're not out anything. I mean. <laughs> no, I, it's not like I have money still tied up in this Mac yeah. Mini. Um, and then the price I got the Nook for is actually, I think it was just over $400 right. all in with RAM, with hard drive. Because if you got the Intel ones, they were bare bones. No RAM, no hard drive. And they were $900. So. Oof, oof. Like, that's what really kept me from investing in those ones. What? It, what? What do you get? You get a processor. Yeah, a processor uh, and and, and all the little board. main boards and all your ports and stuff. But uh, you'd, you'd had to provide your own RAM, your own uh, SSD. Oh, well, ports. You can't come by those very easily. Um, in the form factor, though, my dude. <laughs> it's, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. But now that these third parties are doing it, it's a lot easier. Um, so I did some research cause I need it to do Plex and I have a couple 4k videos with HDR. And the problem is if you watch a 4k video with HDR on a non HDR TV, it will be washed the fuck out yep. because HDR does not get remapped or doesn't get tone mapped unless you have a specific this, this to me is the dirty secret of the modern video age uh-huh. hdr fucking sucks it, it's great HDR's, when it works oh i've never you know what i've never seen an hdr image that i went oh wow it's uh, always been like look you took the saturation in photoshop and turned it up that's it, it. that's all it is so if you have i don't that's not all it is don't write in i if you have an <laughs> intel gpu or an nvidia gpu and you run Linux, then Plex will do uh, HDR to SDR tone mapping right. in GPU. So yeah, tone mapping is really complex. It it, it, it will murder your CPU. Um, it is brutal. So I made sure I got a 
i5 NUC with a the Intel Iris chipset on it. Uh, everyone on the Plex subreddit said this is a uh, it's a good price to performance. It's a it's got this the, the GPU that will do uh, HDR to SDR tone mapping. It will do hardware um, uh, reencoding. So it was it was just perfect. So four hundred dollars in. I got it uh, yesterday. And I was up until one in the morning getting this thing set up, <laughs> but it it literally like I saw I, I it came with Windows 10 Pro, and I'm like if did I it really yes it did that's amazing so I oh, sorry Windows 11 Pro but it was still Windows 11 Pro came with it Pro yes and um, they give you WGF a, uh, I got the recovery image for it. Um, so I could, I put that on a USB key. So if I ever wanted to go back to sure. that, yeah, it's, tied, it's tied to the main board. I'm yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I've got, I had to do that. And then I installed Debian on it. Debian 12 worked flawlessly, came up no problem. I put uh KDE plasma on it. Biggest mistake I've ever made. Um, never even looked at it. it it's what the Steam Deck runs. Okay, the, the, I've the, looked at it once. The Steam Deck uh, desktop <laughs> OS is KD is Plasma. KD Plasma. Yeah, right. so I'm like, oh, you know what? Steam Deck uses it's got to be good. It's fine if you're going to be having a keyboard and mouse and monitor hooked up to it all yes, the time. That is my. That's why I never look at desktop mode. I am not going deck. to be doing that, and I wanted to use a VNC server, which is a um, a way of logging into a graphical environment without having like an actual screen hooked up to the graphical environment. Mm-hmm. It's a virtual screen, and you can't do it. There's a lot of people offering extremely hacky ways of trying to do it, and it will work until KDE does an update, and then it stops working. And I'm just like, nuts this. The nice thing about Linux is I can blow away my uh, my graphical desktop like that, with, pardon me, without having to reinstall. And I put on XFCE, which I've used in the past, uh, I've on Gentoo, XFCE four. Um, it's a GNOME based. Okay. Um, that I have heard of. Window manager, but I like it. It's clean. It's it's relatively themable. GNOME has a lot of overhead and little yeah. widgets and stuff. XFCE GNOME is trying the Mac OS. It, it, it's it's just very functional and light. And the nice thing is that the VNC server I wanted to run will start it no problem. So when the computer boots, it starts a VNC server, which then causes X to start, and it only exists in this little thing. So it's the, the box is, has a power cable and an Ethernet cable, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And As it should be. The reason I have to have a window manager on it is because I need to run a little piece of Windows software that isn't supported anymore and was only for – so someone did a Flash remake of a game I used to play with my siblings when we were young called Jones and the Fast Lane. Uh-oh. It was a CD-ROM game uh, back when 486s and CD-ROMs were hot shit. <laughs> and it was a four-player hot seat game. It was a game of life, except it was really sarcastic. Uh, and, like, the markets could crash, and if you had money in the bank, all your money was gone, or the inflation could soar, and if you uh, didn't have a good job, you could get fired. So and the games were, like, in the 80s, kid. Yeah. Um, but we loved it. And somebody made a flash remake in 2016 and made multiplayer. So you didn't have to be sitting locally. So my sisters who are, you know, an hour away from me and I could hop on a a hangouts call and play this game and just like shit talk each other and, uh, and, and have fun. Well, flash died and there's a project called ruffle, which is a rust interface layer 
for Flash. I've heard good things about Rust. It, it's so Rust is a very robust programming language, but Ruffle is amazing because they're basically recreating all of the Flash API calls and interfacing it mm. between the SWF files and your browser. So it's not there's no Flash actually running, but it's interpreting everything. It's basically Scum VM for Flash. Right. And they're so close. They're like 95% done the um, action script that I need done. And once they finish, because right now everything works. I can play the game front to back, single player or local, but I can't do them. That won't connect to the the server, which is the the Windows program I have to run. It has to run the same machine that the web page is served off of. So I've got Wine running. It'll run the... uh, the ISOC server, which is what the the Flash will connect into, I just need this project to uh, mature enough so we can start playing Jones again. But that's the other thing the Mac Mini did. It served a web page, it ran that software, and then it did my Plex. But now this this little thing, I was running 4K HDR content downsampled to SDR 10, uh, 1080p, like... Less than 10% CPU usage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, streaming heat and it worked flawlessly. Um, I am super impressed at the, like the price to performance of this thing. If you needed like a little desktop for just like office work or even like extremely like light indie gaming, the fact that it comes with fucking Windows, Windows 11, 11 Pro, Pro. Yeah. what? Um, it's like 200 bucks right there. Dual 4K HDMI ports in the back. Like you can run dual monitors in the thing. It's crazy. And the higher end ones that run AMD chipsets will actually run like Counter Strike level 3D games at 60 FPS at 4K. Uh, they'll do three monitors with the um, the USB 4 port. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. So I mean, the next I keep saying this, but I think the next computer upgrade I do is going to be a NUC mm. with an eGPU. Like the the, the 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 reason to have a giant desktop PC is 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 diminishing. Yes, that I, that that is the kind of the point of this and the deck NUC is that like you know the whole giant PC thing. It's not it's not feasible. But we've come from like the ENIAC and the Univac, which is like an entire room yeah. to get a nineteen eighties graphing calculator level of computer working to I've got an I five eight uh, eight threads sitting in my hand. Like it's literally the size of my palm. It's ridiculous how how small this thing is and how quiet it is. Mm-hmm. It's running laptop chipset, like an APU from a laptop. So I mean, it's it's relatively light for cooling. It's fantastic. Very good. I'm, so I mean, it's a it's a B Link SEI 11 in the i5 range, and there's a processor code. But I mean, any of the ones that are SEI 11 or 12 will be a Intel i5 or i7. So right. uh, good stuff. It's good. it's it's taken over Plex, and I'm super pumped. Very nice. So, are you running Plex natively, or are you running in a container? I'm just running the, the the Plex media server for Debian, and it's right. uh, it's running no problem. That's another thing. I'll probably end up with Docker on it for something. Like I used to sure. run Caliber in a uh, Docker for just uh, sorting out my eBooks, but I haven't done that in a little while. But mm-hmm. it'll it'll probably end up uh, running like my more sizable Docker containers because my uh, that's my whole thing now. It's like. <clears throat> If I if it if it will run in Docker, mm-hmm. if it's got a, like a you know a portainer template or something, I'll run it. If not, 
Nope. Yeah. Because like I don't need the headache of like trying to run stuff off the silicone. Like I just I containerization all the way, baby, or not, because the convenience of that I've I'm a complete convert to that yeah. model. It's like nope, nope. It's pretty fantastic. Uh okay. Since this is the this is the Gizmo Tale where Jamie does all the talking because I'll probably do all the talking in Pixels and Tokens. The other Here thing we go. I have spent all my time on It's the Fucktendo hour. The Fucktendo. So it's always morally correct to pirate Nintendo games. <laughs> uh, a coworker of mine has decided that he wants the Switch OLED and this said, you know, if you want my my low serial number switch, like this is a la- not a launch switch, but an early switch. He said it's uh, it's in the hackable um, serial number range. I'll sell it to you for a hundred bucks. And after going on uh, Kijiji and eBay for a second and finding that anything any switch right now is about three hundred and fifty, <laughs> and that if it's actually hacked, it's probably four or four fifty. I'm like, yes, no, I will take your your switch. So I'm not going to go and start playing legend of zelda your your (laughs) weapon will fall apart anytime soon (laughs) it's mostly for we go on some long trips and my partner enjoys stardew valley and things Mm -hmm. like that so i will have a switch with stardew valley and whatever else she wants on it available we're the last people to say that there's no case for the switch no which is the single most popular like video game absolutely it's ever been released nintendo just doesn't put out the the games that i'm really willing to, to sit and put the uh, the time into at least not anymore um but for a hundred dollars sure. i'm in for a switch yeah so i got a crash course there's two in, switches in this household neither of us play them yeah but, you know. <laughs> one of them's hackable we confirmed that it's true um so i got a crash course in switch soft mod uh hacking and it's it's interesting Basically, all you need is an SD card with the right folder structure and uh, files on it and a little jig that slides down the, the right Joy-Con rail. Um, my first one was actually literally a bent paperclip. Um, <laughs> That's the part that kills me. How do you defeat Switch security? Bent paperclip. Do you know how they defeated um, the security on the Wii? Tweezers. Yep. They use tweezers to jump two pins. And the first uh, group that did it was called Tweezers. T-W-I-I-Z-E-R-S. <laughs> tweezers. Um, because we're clever hackers. So the whole premise is that the whole bunch of switches that they put out had a flaw in either the Tegra chip or in one of the supporting chips for Tegra because you can put it in RCS mode which is the emergency programming mode. This is the, we bypass. You know what RCS stands for? I can look it up. It's okay. Um, but it's, it's the mode. Some letters. Where you, um, you can actually write to the, not to the bootloader, but you can bypass the bootloader and tell it to do things. It, it, if right. the switch is bricked, you usually put it in this so you can flash a new bootloader. You can um, you can actually talk to like the the processes that are happening. Yes, I'm just trying to figure out what uh, everyone just calls it RCS. Welcome to the internet. Um, but it's uh, you you 
so there's two pins in the joy the left, the right Joy-Con rail. Pin one, which is ground, and pin ten. And when those two pins are shorted, and you hold volume up and press power once, it the screen looks like it's off, but now it's in um, uh, the the reprogramming mode. You plug a USB C cable into it, plug it into a computer that's running a certain piece of software that can send this signal over it like the cryptic certain piece of software i mean it's all out there i, I can i can provide <laughs> links in the show Don't notes. provide links in the show notes but it's there's also <laughs> a program on the android phone that will push a uh an rcs um bootloader signal across so i've got it set up so i can just plug my phone in the switch it will push the atmosphere bootloader it automatically boots atmosphere off my sd card and it's back into it, it's amazing so if this thing gets shut down or the battery dies, I recharge it. I can immediately put it back into bootloader mode with just my phone. But the the whole premise is that once you've done this, you're now running. It's it's, it's atmosphere or Hatake. Uh, Hatake is the initial loader that lets you do stuff like dump your keys, which is how people got the uh, the switch signing keys for mm. uh, running homebrew and and extracting games. Uh, it will let you um, set up all kinds of stuff. It'll let you um, make a NAND, like a non. Uh, uh, it'll take let you take your non volatile uh, environment and copy it, so you've got a version of the original untouched switch that you can boot into and play stuff online with official software. And, and Nintendo can't see any of the homebrew hackiness. And then you can also boot uh, boot into your uh, hugely uh, Sounds very fucktendo. It's extremely fucktendo. But once you're in there, you can run homebrew. There's a me- method of bringing up the homebrew launcher, and you can access all kinds of stuff. Like you can dump saves and uh, apply cheats and whatever you want to do. But what most people want to do is run um, the actual Switch software, which requires you to have uh, sig patches, signature patches that will let that will uh, add the licensed software signatures to the switch and let you run Diablo three or, um, animal crossing or whatever. And I found it was called, I think it was called vanilla Hatake, uh, or vanilla atmosphere. And it was everything rolled into one. It had the sig patches. It had the homebrew. It has updaters. It's a SD card image that you put on and it takes care of everything. It'll do auto updates it's fantastic. So once I got that on there, now I can reliably boot this thing anywhere. I've got the I've got a switch case with the, the spot for the jig in it. Um, there are even people sell. It's basically a box with a USB C port in it, and you plug it into the top of the switch when it's in RCS mode, and you press the the plus button on it, and it'll boot the switch into it for you. <laughs> it's got a spot for the jig and everything. So like if you have that. That's it. Like you got this little thing, you plug it in, done. Um, it's it's amazing. It's it's not convenient, and there's nothing Nintendo can do about it because it's a hardware flaw. It's not yeah, a problem. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what. And what's was really interesting is that like so they they fixed this flaw. Right? Yes, That's in later thing, switches right? they there won't. So there is a finite number of switches that will be able to do this. So the the serial numbers are broken up into has the flaw likely has the flaw because there was a point Mm. in the serial numbers where they caught it and started fixing it 
So there's this kind of gray area where we don't know exactly how many, because we know like millions of switches are sold to flaw. There's this gray area where we don't know how many switches were, and then there's the patched ones. Right. So there's definitively patched, past a certain serial number, a kind of a gray area, and then there's the um, definitely has this problem. Um, and it's it's there's a bunch of websites. You just go and punch your serial number in. It'll tell you where you lie. Um, and it's it's not anything. So if you're running too new of a switch version, which right now there isn't one because Atmosphere works with up to sixteen point three, which is the current one. But if you get too upgraded or you're too gung ho on upgrading your switch things, you could get ahead of the bootloader and you'd have to wait for Atmosphere to catch up. Uh, but as long as you keep your environment up to date, your uh, your your custom firmware environment up to date, and you follow along to see when they support the newer ones, you can actually. This is the other really nice thing is because when you up do a firmware upgrade on the Switch, it blows an e fuse, which prevents you from backing down. It won't let you roll back because it, it checks to see if this fuse is is alive or not, and if it's gone. It will not let you uh, roll it back. Physical fuse. So it's t- it's a microscopic. They're called e fuses. Um, the Xbox 360 had those for firmware updates, so you couldn't try to roll them back. It was part of the trying to keep you from getting at the internals wow. of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but holy shit! You can do switch updates from inside the custom firmware that bypasses e-fuse switches so you could roll back to theoretically the switch version that you had on it when you started doing custom firmware because none of those e-fuses have been burned so if you wanted for some reason to roll switch back you could but as long as you're doing the updates within the custom firmware it doesn't burn that fuse so that's the other nice thing is that you don't have to worry about running into a pro- you're problem in, you're in yeah it's uh, it's really nice, but uh, it, it it I think it just kind of makes it a little more useful. There's a lot of rumors about the Switch Two happening. I mean, eventually it's going to happen. It has to, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, how long can they keep going with this glorified cell phone? Like, do you think they'll even hit 4K with it on the handheld mode? I doubt it. I, it'll probably be maybe 1080p. I mean, what we've seen from Windows handhelds, right? Yeah. Like, no. I mean, maybe maybe 1080 but nothing past that. Yeah. No. What about docked? Do you think it'll hit docked 4K? Because, I mean, all the guts are in the handheld. Maybe maybe docked 4K 30, but... It would scream like a banshee. Yeah. Because it's, it's... Well, I mean, if it's based on anything like this, this is a cell phone infrastructure. This is yeah. a Tegra chip. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're running custom AMD APUs in this thing like uh, the, the big boys are. So I don't know. I, like, I, I don't know what the point of a Switch 2 is. Well, I mean... To sell more switches, yes, <laughs> but I mean, like, what is it <laughs> bringing sold to the so table? So many now that you like know. The, the Wii U had the little slate and stuff, and it was like a, it was the, an interesting difference. Yeah. They were trying to get away from motion controls because they realized. No, that, no, I see. I see what you mean. Like, yeah, no, they would have to have a selling point. But, for, but I don't know what they could tack onto the Switch because they've already got the Wii motion controls with they, the Joy Cons. They have kind of painted themselves into a corner. Haven't so they? like. like bigger screen like the oled already has a bigger screen and yet the, the switch that's selling the most is the little mini that's like yes smaller, the lights right? my my niece got a switch light for her birthday like the last weekend we were in uh in hamilton and it's uh it's it's literally smaller than this mm-hmm. same screen size though 
Um, just there's not this gigantic bezel that the uh, the Switch Lite has. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Switch Lite's the one that's selling the most, and it doesn't even have removable uh, joysticks. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what the hook is. Like where where's the just because uh, probably just power like this it's been so long it's like, gotta be everybody every, every single game reviewer who talks about anything on the switch now is like we need new hardware but they can't right? they can't go to a completely different infrastructure they piss off all their developers they don't oh, spend all this time getting I'd, the I'm tegra not, i'm not sure that nintendo cares first of all because they never have before mm. but like yeah no i agree that they they have to I think at least in some proportion, they have to realize that you at the very least need to bring your library forward, right? Like that's, that is minimum. They've sold so many switches that if they were to go, okay, new platform and then nothing's backwards compatible. Backwards compatibility has always been their anathema though. Like I I know the, the, we would play GameCube and that was it. That was the most backwards compatibility. This is what Nintendo's had. always been, though, right? Like they've always been this very authoritarian. Yeah. With you know, it's 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 the <clears throat> it's the steel fist in the velvet glove. Right? Yeah. It's always been that. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna see from Switch Two. There has to be one, obviously, but what it's gonna be and why and what. What, like, the, what the pitch is. They've sold like 50 million Switches. They haven't sold 50 million Switches. They've sold a ton of Switches. Have they sold 50 million Switches? I mean, I would be surprised if it wasn't, but you know. They have to give those at least some of those 50 million Switch owners a reason to buy Switch 2. Yeah. And do, I, I guess do they, it, though? I do guess they? it could just be another Mario game. Because Nintendo. Like, that's really all you need. Like, it's that's all you need to do is say, okay, there's a new platform. Here's the new Zelda or whatever. Like, you, you just, oh, that's all you need. It, it just seems like there should be some sort of hardware hook. And it's probably just going to be... Uh, I, I got it. I got news for 1080p. you. The Nintendo people don't give a shit about hardware. Yeah. They really don't. Like really, really don't. I I don't. There doesn't seem to be. There's there, well, there wasn't even a compelling hook for me to get a switch. I had to like <laughs> find wanted to fall on me. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Man, hopefully it'll have a huge hardware flaw on launch, and uh, people will just have. Oh, the crap somebody out of will somebody will crack it. No, don't uh, worry. It's a pro- point of honor at this point. It really is. Okay, is that it? That's you it. Good? That's it. That's my uh, my adventures in hardware. I spent uh, most of the previous the, the the first week after last podcast switch hacking, <laughs> and then uh, me fighting uh, with Max and uh, Linux. All right. Oh boy, I'm going to get a drink before this is done because. We are done with Gizmo Town. We are going to take a quick break and we will be back with pixels and tokens. Video games. Board games. Video games. Tabletop role playing games. Video games. And now for Pixels and Tokens, where we talk about all kinds of gaming, but mostly video games. So, a little behind the scenes chat here. Sometimes I dread (laughs) (laughs) doing some podcasts because I know I'm going to have to talk about stuff that isn't necessarily 
popular. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, the whole point of doing a podcast is that you're talking about you know how you feel about stuff. Or, or the the problem is you're talking about something that's extremely popular in perhaps maybe an unpopular method. So welcome to Pixels and Tokens, where we talk about gaming and, of course, the thing that everybody is on about. I hear they resurrected Bioware's crown jewel. Oh, boy. Um, I, I, I wasn't going to play it. I really wasn't. I, I literally have no <laughs> interest in it. And, and, you know, I got... I got we're talking about Baldur's Gate 3. Yes. Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, while not, I would say, not perfect games, they were one of the best implementations of tabletop Dungeons & Dragons. So this this was the thing. We need to understand the historical yes. context of this, right? So Baldur's Gate 1, a hugely seminal and important game. Yeah, absolutely. Because... Before Baldur's Gate 1, there was like the Gold Box series of D&D stuff. I the Beholder. Yeah. But CRPGs, computer role-playing games, and I will be saying the word CRPG for a lot of this, so get used to it. CRPGs were in a kind of a bad spot. There was nothing really compelling. Mm-hmm. And particularly because CRPGs had kind of... Uh, uh, been relegated to a very arcadey gauntlet. I hate to say it, but Diablo-ish style of. Oh, there thing. was like Wasteland on the C sixty four in the yeah. early eighties, and that was a very um, like pie in the sky. And even the Bard's Tale, yeah, were, were very high concept CRPGs that came out way too early. Yeah, exactly. And then they they got Pac Man. And, uh, exactly. Yes. So the whole the whole pitch of the original Baldur's Gate was that we are going to bring the tabletop experience to computers. The that only, was the thing. The only thing missing was the DM sitting behind a screen. Yes. Um, and by and large, and and way more than anybody else had, they nailed it. It was great. Baldur's Gate One and especially Baldur's Gate Two were thematically perfect the engine was excellent it was per- this was like, this was what made bioware yes, right this absolutely. is where, where bioware came this from this put them on the map yeah so <sighs> then comes this studio called larian now what was their other stuff they've done so here was always my my hesitation with Baldur's Gate 3 was that I have played Larian's other games. Larian's other games are Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2. Oh, those are like I know people and love them. They are beloved. People love these games. They and never I, grab me. I understand why. But I always bounced off really hard. I never. Yeah. I only touched one, but I played two fairly extensively. Yeah. To the point that I got so frustrated that I stopped. Oh, this is like me and The Witcher. I, I literally can't stand yeah, Geralt. No, no. The, 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 and it wasn't even the characterizations. It was the mechanics. Mm. And the thing is... This is a characterization of a lot of things. This is why I don't listen to gaming podcasts because mm. usually the games I like are the games that other people don't like, and the games that other people don't that other people like I don't like, and it has become a bit of a contention for me. So people love Divinity Original Sin one and particularly two. One of the reasons is that they do a lot of environmental stuff. 
Yeah. So it's like, you know, there'd be like, you know, uh, um, oil on the ground and you can set that on fire and you can and you can therefore set all the enemies on fire or there's water so you can cast electricity into it and then electrify all the enemies or that kind of thing. Yeah. It was very, very environmental. So it was very, very strategic. Right. You had to like set things up and then it was like playing chess. You know, you set up a gambit and then you execute it. Um, and I get that. I really I. I dig that too. I play, I have played a lot of board games that are very much like that. I understand that. And yet my experience of playing Divinity 1 and 2 has always been, eventually what happens is I make one wrong move or somebody steps one step too far in the wrong direction and literally everybody's on fire and now I'm dead. So this explains the PC gamer article I saw last week about we're all safe scumming, uh, Baldur's gate three, right? Oh, it's, it's so much that it is so much that now to be fair, that's true of the original as well. I mean, in Baldur's gate, you were quick saving anytime you walked into a place. Cause there's a the chance that you triggered a trap that you can't see because you don't have a thief <laughs> and it has a percentage chance so, to go off. So but in, in that way, it is very much a faithful, uh, continuation of the yeah. series. Now, the reason that I, at, at first was not going to play Baldur's gate three was because I bounced off of Larian's other stuff so hard. Now on the good side, the reason Larian made Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 is because they are fans of the original Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale yeah. and all the Infinity Engine stuff. They love those games. They wanted to make something in that genre. And they did, and they were highly successful. And then they got the license to do Baldur's Gate 3. It's a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. This is their dream project. Yes, of course, it's lovely, it's wonderful, and I feel great for them. They got to do the thing. Like, fantastic, wonderful. I, I the People who love it, love it, and that's great. Yeah. I bounced off of it so hard. Really? I can't. I can't even tell you. So I, of course, got caught up in the hype because I, I don't know of any other game in recent memory that has been so hyped as Baldur's Gate 3. It has come in so hot. I had no idea it was coming until about two months ago when the beta hit and mm. that druid fucked the bear. And <laughs> then I couldn't, couldn't stop here. I literally had no idea it was even being worked on until that point. I have known for a long time because it's been mm. in early access for like a year or two. Yeah. Like it's been, you know, I've been following it for a long time and I did know. But again, as you say, in the past month, or so. Yeah, it's woof. It's like lit. just through the roof. So I got caught up in the hype and I'm like, I wasn't gonna play it. Cause I uh, my fear was I bounced off of Divinity Original Sin so hard, mm-hmm. I was afraid that all this was gonna be was that with a DD skin. Right? And everything I saw from the early access said that yeah, that's pretty much what this is. Yeah. And so I was like, mm, nope. And I of course, got caught up in the hype. It's like, it's Baldur's Gate. Come on. You're going back to the well. Let's, you, you, we got to do this. So, like, okay. Well, I've got this podcast. Yep. <laughs> so, I, I, I felt a degree, not necessarily of obligation, but I was like, well, this would be something worth talking about because it's in the public eye and, yep. you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and it is, it is in our wheelhouse and all that kind of stuff. So, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can just ignore it. 
right? Yeah. So I ended up getting it. Oh. So there's two things, okay? There's, there's really two sides to this. Yeah. Um, going in, now there's, there's one part that I knew I would bounce off of immediately, and that is it's really horny. Oh yeah! This is one of the horniest games. It's just everybody wants to fuck you all the time. See my previous comment about the dude fucking a bear. Yeah, no. And this thing is like, I don't. You know what? I know some people like that, and that's fine. And I'm not kink shaming. I'm not whatever. That's your thing. Go for it. What, the Mass you know? Effect slow burn romances were nice, but if everyone is willing to drop trow the second you sort of stroll into tra- town, <laughs> that'd be kind of weird. I'm even this is the, like I'm not that's just me though this is this is my point what if you that, tanked your charisma do you think that would have affected <laughs> I, I don't know you know what I should try you should spin um, up a character that's got like a one <laughs> charisma <laughs> but the my point like you know I the, the whole the whole dating sim thing mm-hmm. whole, I'm just like I don't I don't need or want horny games yeah. I don't want them I am not in any way interested in romance subplots. I don't want to fuck NPCs. I don't want any of that. I I want to kill 10 goblins to get the thing to get the wizard to do the thing. That's that's what I want to do. Okay? So, anyway. I knew going in that it was going to be horny. Yes. Now... I, and this is one of the things I realized. The whole pitch of Baldur's Gate 3 is supposed to be there's so many choices. There's so many dialogue options. We've written so much. There's like X hundred number of hours of dialogue in this thing that you could make any choice and that will be impactful in the world. And you can play it the way you want to play it. Ah, uh, the eternal RPG promise. Exactly. Guess what? It doesn't deliver. It doesn't deliver. So my my whole thing with the whole horny game was, can I play it not horny? Can, is that an option even? Right? The central thrust of Baldur's Gate 3, <laughs> can the gods create a dick so big even they can't suck it? <laughs> so, so that was my first kind of uh, motivation to go, okay, I'll try because this is a worthwhile experiment, right? If your pitch is I can play my way, what if my way is not horny? So I right? am literally picturing Kevin a la Operation Pug as Karen Babbage standing in the middle of this town going, it's a little horny here. Is anyone else feeling it's a little horny? I think, I think maybe. it's That man has a boner hole in his armor. It's really horny here. I can't believe we're writing new Operation Pug stuff. Oh, my God. Okay. It's, it's, it's basically writing itself. It really is. Uh, okay. So that was where I started from. <sighs> I, you know, this is a long, long journey. I've heard the dice rolling is really annoying. So. I mean, it's nice that they they want you to think there's dice involved, but. This was the. So understanding. Now. I have said a thing many times. I'm going to say it again because Mm -hmm. it is super relevant to this conversation. I have often said, play the game that it is, not the game that you want it to be Mm -hmm. in your head. So I followed my own advice. I was like, I'm going to play the game that it is. No problem. 
So one of the one of the Achilles heels of this genre, yeah, and one of the kind of smoke and mirrors of this thing, and as we were just talking about the whole like oh the promise of the eternal RPG, no matter what choice you make, it has an impact. That's always wrong. Yep. It's always a, a, a branching series of dialogues that end up in the same place. Absolutely, this is one hundred percent the same thing. It's there, there's almost uh, there's always too much stuff between you and the game that you want to get at. Exactly, and that's what I kept feeling was that. I kept on, there, there's no momentum, there's no flow to this. There was always, the game was always trying to get in my way of yes. doing something, yes. right? Now, I don't want to sit here and trash Baldur's Gate 3. It is beloved. People are having, like, look at every single gaming site. They're over oh, the fucking moon over this 11 thing. out of 10. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't want to sit here and trash it. It is most definitely not for me and the reasons that it's not for me is largely because of this the game is trying to get in your way situation now some people like that Mm -hmm. some people want the pushback of that i absolutely do not and that's on me like that is a i was perfectly fine with Baldur's gates it tells you in the little chat window like critical, whatever, like it was, you saw the end result of a dice roll. They didn't shake up a set of dice in your face. I'm the opposite. I like seeing the, I love seeing the dice. I I don't show me the dice. I don't need that. Cause all I know it's a computer flipping a coin and it had, the coin just happens to have a dozen sides on it. But this, and it's been very instructive because what it has shown to me is it's kind of uh, uh, illuminated a a piece of my own psychology that I didn't really grasp before. Mm -hmm. So my roots are in tabletop RPGs. Yeah. I love a tabletop role-playing game. But most of the computer, like the CRPGs I play, are action RPGs Mm -hmm. that are not necessarily narratively focused, right? Yeah. And that's always, that seems like a dichotomy, right? It's like you you want the tabletop experience, and yet you're playing this thing that's really just all mechanics, right? Well, the tabletop experience is you versus a human with other humans bingo whereas a crpg it's you and the computer masturbating itself (laughs) it's like all of your party are computer controlled characters getting roles from the computer and everything in the world is the 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 finger quotes dm doing the same thing but you are exactly right there's no interplay like we like when i was saying you're in the middle of town going it's a little horny here like that's not happening there you don't have these moments with other people it's just you in the game the difference between a tabletop game and a computer game is on a tabletop game a human dm can improvise yes they can extemporate they can fudge dice rolls. Mm-hmm. They can make things happen that weren't intended to happen. A computer can't do that. So inevitably, what's going to happen is either, you know, uh, things get in, in terms of like, you know, difficulty levels, things get weighted towards your party. Yeah. And, and fine, whatever. Or it's like Baldur's Gate 3 
Or it's just, well, you got to save scum because you did one thing wrong and the dice didn't go your way. And <sighs> and three of your party are dead. And now you're all dead. Like, yeah. that was my experience of Baldur's Gate 3 yeah. is you did one thing wrong and now everybody's dead. And so it, it was just not fun. There's it was, it was a constant struggle to try and move forward. So I I, I put forward a colliery to your play the game that you're given, not the game that you want. And the, that is, it's okay not to like the game you're given. Absolutely. And that's the other side of that, right? Was if it, if those two things are opposed, if yeah. it's not the game in your head, this isn't the game for you. Sometimes if you play the game that you're given and you, you, you click with it, like you're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing it this way. It's fine. That can be the yeah. game you wanted now. It's like me and Uncharted. Uncharted wants to be played a certain way. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't how this game feels fun. This this is this is work. And I, I basically just fell off of it and stopped playing it because I it was it wasn't the game for me. I, I tried to play it the way it wanted to be played and I didn't like it, so I stopped. Um whereas things like Diablo three it wasn't the game anyone wanted at the beginning, but they did work, and then it became this excellent game that you you really did want to play. And this is what made me realize this is why in a in a in a video game, this is why I prefer CR or action RPGs. Yes, is because the narrative is kind of negligible. It, it happens around it's you. Fine. It's good. Yeah. I mean, Diablo Four has got about as deep a story as it's you can get good. in an RPG, and still you're like. Ultimately, why, why can't I side with Lilith? Yeah, ultimately, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, right? you're, you're railroaded. It is about, because RPGs are always divided into two sections, right? Yeah. There's the narrative and there's the mechanics. Yeah. And those are completely separate things. And the narrative part is portable. Yeah. The mechanics part are is not. And so if you can nail the mechanics, the narrative part is completely mutable and changeable. And you can take that from system to system and whatever you want. So... On, on a computer game, on a video game, as long as the mechanics feel good, that's all I need because my character is my character. I don't care if it's an EverQuest or Baldur's Gate or whatever. Cardi's is Cardi's. Like, it doesn't matter yeah, who, yeah, what yeah. system I go to. So that's my character. Yeah. That's my story. I don't want I don't want or need to play through somebody else's story. And yeah. that is it, right? Baldur's Gate 3 is and and all of the Baldur's Gates for that matter are somebody else's story. Yes. Right? They're they're a, a module in old D D terms. Yes, yes, right? exactly. It's uh you're you're playing through this relatively rigid thing. It, it doesn't take for I attack the princess. Yeah. I have a a really good illustration of this. Mm -hmm. So, and it's, I, this morning, literally this morning, I was like, no, I've been too hard. I saw you log in. I I was like, I'm going to, I want to give it a real shot. Like I, I've, I read through some walkthroughs. I'm like, okay, I know what I did wrong here. I know what I did wrong here. I'm going to do this and this and this. I got through a really difficult fight that I didn't think I'd get through and I got through it and it was good. I blew all my health potions, whatever. It's all fine. Okay. So I got down to a point, I'm not going to blow any spoilers here, but I had to, the objective was to assassinate a particular NPC. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the pitch of the game, let us not forget, is that you can make choices and do anything. Yeah. Okay. So in the dialogue tree that they wrote, 
not me. They wrote this. There are a couple of options. You can, you, so you meet this NPC. They're a big evil person. Um, you can betray some people and then win their trust. Your, your objective, remember, is to assassinate them. Yeah. Okay. So you can betray some people. You can lead them away from the people you're trying to protect into a secluded area of the woods. Uh, or you can lead them to the people you're trying to protect and hope that that exposes them. Hmm. Right. You've got three options. Okay. Obviously, if I'm playing as an ethical character, I'm not going to betray the and, people that. And you're not going to endanger them. All right. So I'm not going to lead them to the people. I'm not sorry. I'm not yeah, trying, you, intentionally trying to give you, you, you the You flip me off. I, you know, it, this is the problem with the podcast. Father's <sighs> Gate 3, people. Am I right? <laughs> exactly. So, so my. One of the dialogue options is point to an area on the map of the secluded woods and lead them there, deceiving them. Okay. And it's a dice roll, mm. a, a deception dice roll. So the good option could fail. And it's a difficult, uh, um, uh, um, difficulty, uh, challenge of five so, on a, on a D 20. Yeah. It's so it's nothing. I won it easily because my character is a rogue. Yeah. She can deceive easily. I won that role. Bang. No problem. And the, the NPC says, you are a fool. They've lied to you. We, to, you've, you've, you're wrong. You're incorrect. We're not going there. So even though you did the So thing, there's no actual option. Railroaded. There, you couldn't, exactly. You, you're only Actual option is to lead them to the camp. And if you lead them to the camp, you either have to betray the camp or you, quote unquote, hope they get exposed. But that means, that means that the whole premise of Baldur's Gate 3, that you can do anything, is smoke and fucking mirrors. Yeah. And it absolutely is. Like, that was the moment. It wasn't anything mechanical. It wasn't because I was bad at the game. It wasn't anything like that. It was because... I the game gave me the option to do the thing that was clearly the right thing that was like lead them to the secluded woods because we're in the middle of an enemy camp here. I need to get them out on the on their own so I can assassinate them like a fucking assassin would. And it won't let me. I won the role. That's nope. the point. I won the role and it still said nope. You need to go back and roll a one charisma character to see if it gets less horny. Everyone's like, ew. <sighs> but that can, was the moment that I went. Do you have half orc? Uh, I don't know, but probably. I mean, that is one of the races. So, uh, know, like like a, a low charisma half orc, like Johnny Unfuckable. I'm a, I'm a tiefling. Like, I mean, it should be, you know, pretty. Just pretty. Just, just make Johnny Unfuckable and see if, <laughs> see if the game's less horny. It wasn't even the whole, I didn't even, you know, it, it, here's the hilarious thing. Like one of the first NPCs that you meet after the tutorial is like clearly Johnny fuckable. Yeah. And it's like, I was just like, nope, get, I don't even, I don't even want you in my party. Just like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it actually let me not have them in my yeah, party. Yeah. I was, at least there was that. It keeps wanting to push you in that direction, but it doesn't force you in yeah. that direction. At least there's that. But that was the thing. The yeah. fact that like it, it had the dialogue option in the tree. I won the role and it still said, nope. 
Uh-uh. Sorry, Baldur's Gate 3 can't do it. So! I am going to laugh if your top two game is Baldur's Gate. <laughs> I can tell you right now, it's not. Okay. <sighs> but that got me thinking. We know that the hype of Baldur's Gate 3 is big. You can't escape it. It's everywhere. It seems that there is an audience for it. There like is, there is, there is a huge audience for, it. and I get it. I understand. Yeah. And and I, if you're enjoying it, hats off to you. Enjoy. It's great. It's the, not for the me. Theoretical pair of walking gonads that's enjoying fall. <laughs> you know, Baldur's Gate three. You know, and some people, some people enjoy the challenge and the pushback. Listen, and that's, that's, that's fine. That's, that's that's all good. But different strokes for different folks. What it did get me in the mood for was that kind of game. Yes. Right. That 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 style of like we're trying to go for a more tabletop oriented experience. Um, so you but, fired up EverQuest. I did not fire. <sighs> EverQuest is not a tabletop experience. I know. Let me tell you. Um, but what I thought was, and I, I, I did a little bit of searching. And I'm like, okay, thank God, I'm not the only person that feels this way about Baldur's Gate Three. There has been some pushback. There yeah. have been some people going, "This game is not balanced at all." And that's one of the things. There is zero balance. Yeah. There is zero like attempt to kind of go, okay, here's your party. Here's what you're capable of. Here's the enemy. Here's what they're capable of. Let's try and meet these things. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no that is I in the end my final complaint I have had a lot of DMs in my career on tabletop this feels like a really shitty DM brand new or just wants to kill the party gets high off their own farts they they've written a script yeah that's the script yeah you can't deviate from the script if you do if, and, and anything they do is just put in place to like give the party something to fail against. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what Baldur's Gate 3 feels like mm. to me. And I've had great DMs, I've had crappy DMs, and this feels like a crappy DM. That's what it that's, absolutely that's what it feels bad. like. Um, and that's a shame. It but, wasn't on my radar, so I'm glad at least somebody played it. Yeah, no, I I'm taking the bullet for you. Yeah. You know? Um but there are alternatives. If you want a tabletop-like experience in a CRPG mm-hmm. that is in a similar vein to this, and yet in a modern game that isn't Baldur's Gate 1 or 2, there are alternatives. Um, now, as we all know from previous podcasts, Hasbro is problematic, who currently owns the, uh, the D&D license. And this yes. is all part of the D&D license. One of the good guys, quote unquote, who emerged from that whole debacle with the with the open rule set license. Oh yes, yes. Was Paizo yep. and Pathfinder. There are, in fact, two official Pathfinder CRPGs. One is called Kingmaker, the other is called Wrath of the Righteous. Nice. That are currently both available on Steam. I don't think they're very expensive. I don't mm-hmm. remember how much. They're by Owlcat Games. They're very much in the Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale style of game, but with a modern engine and with modern, you know, graphics and all that stuff. They look good. They play really well. They're very heavily narratively focused. Nice. And they're they're a lot of fun. So I've been I've been toying with them a little bit. They play quite well on the Steam Deck. Nice. FYI. 
Um, they have full controller support as well. So, you know, good on you. Rare in a CRPG. Exactly. Um, so that is one recommendation. The other recommendation I have, if you are in fact bouncing off of Baldur's Gate 3, which I know there probably are like none of you, but Mm -hmm. if you are, there is another game that uses the open rule set system that was under threat from from Hasbro yes, recently yes. until recently until they walked it back and uh there's a, a studio a very very small studio called Tactical Adventures mm-hmm. that has written a game called Solasta Crown of the Magister and you may have recognize that's, it because it was on that's kingdoms of amalur level of it kind of, uh, it fantasy kind of is. name it's um it, it either is or what it was and it may still be on game pass on xbox oh interesting um but so actually it's pronounced magister if you want to be magister really, magister is the actual latin pronunciation sounds like uh, a character don Knotts would play uh but um, it is using the open, the open rule set mm-hmm. system for D and D five ed. Okay. So five it is, ed. it is, it is Dungeons and Dragons, but it's not using the Dungeons and Dragons like license. Yeah. So it's not like you just know, the rule set, yeah. the D 20. It's, it's their own world, their own thing, but it is really good. It is, it is, uh, real time until you get into combat and then it's turn based. Um, it is a party of maximum four characters, which I really like. I like a smaller party rather mm-hmm. than a larger party. Um, it is, uh, it's, there's multiplayer. There are user written campaigns. They've written a dungeon creator that the users can go in nice. and make their own campaigns. And it's, it is really, really well done. The graphics are a little rough. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very small studio. It's, it's indie. It's very, very indie and it feels very indie, but, um, it is, it is, it's reach may have exceeded its grasp, mm. but not by much. And it is very enjoyable. I have, I have never played an interpretation of D and D five edition, fifth edition that I have enjoyed more. Yeah. It is really good. So and it is like, you know, they have just ended support for it. Okay. They've, they've released their final, their final expansion pack for it. There's a, there's a few expansions for it. Um, well worth checking out. If you like that style of game, Solasta Crown of the Magister is fantastic. And when they ended support for Solasta, they put up um, uh, a survey about what would you like to see in our next game? They're going to do another game using the open rule set that is in the five, the fifth edition um, uh, genre. But, and it was this, really granular survey yeah. about like what would you like in a game like would you like you know this kind of multiplayer that kind of multiplayer would you like narrative focus would you like action focus would you like it? there was all these really interesting questions yeah that was like this is going to guide us in our next game they are very much focused on what people want to play nice so so good on you tactical adventures and that's the thing the the studio name is Tactical Adventures, right? Like you get the, the clues yeah, yeah. in the title, right? It is very much that. Um, it is the first, the first fifth edition rule set uh, CRPG before Baldur's Gate three that has used things like height elevation as as a factor. So, like you know, your ranged characters yep. do more damage and have advantage when yeah. you're above. You can you can shove, you can push people off of things. Wow. There's, yeah, there's a whole. Their, their implementation of the fifth edition rule set is really 
faithful and really useful, and their granular difficulty levels are very, very good. Nice. So if you're if you're up for a challenge, it's got that. If you want easygoing, it's got that too. It's really, really well done. So there are your three recommendations for non-Baldur's Gate 3 CRPGs in the modern style using this style of rule set, Pathfinder, uh, Kingmaker, and Wrath of the Righteous by Owlcat Games, and by Tactical Adventures, Solasta, Crown of the Magister. Nice. Woo! I got through it! I you, did it! You did it! Oh, boy. And you know what? I have to do some more talking because hit the thing. Our top five games of all time continue with my number two. I mean, I actually don't have to do a lot of talking about this because we've already talked a lot about this. And it is the one, the only, the venerable, near and dear to my heart, lightning in a bottle, one time only, Neverwinter Nights. Ah, uh, yes. Which leaves the question of what the hell is number one, right? Anyway, so yes, Neverwinter Nights. Baldur's Gate-like. Uh, well, it, it, it is in the direct lineage from Baldur's Gate. I mean, yeah. There was Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, and then Neverwinter Nights. And the whole pitch... I will link in the in the show notes the the early uh, uh, Operation Pug Operation Pug Operation Puppet podcast <laughs> that we talked about Bald, um, uh, Neverwinter Nights because I was working on uh, Neverwinter Nights server the custom uh, custom world yeah. yeah. It, it is still up and running, FYI. All of you who may or may not be interested in joining, there is an Operation Puppet server. It is not currently publicly available for a lot of very weird and strange and internal reasons. However, it will be. Um, the whole pitch of Neverwinter Nights was that they were trying to take... Now, the whole thing about Baldur's Gate 1 was that they were trying to reproduce... The CRPG, the, the the in in the CRPG, the desktop uh, tabletop experience, right? Yeah. Of like a narratively focused. This is a story we're telling. These are here are the dice rolls. Here's the mechanics that are true to the game, um, and and this is how we're doing it. The whole pitch of Neverwinter Nights was we can do that, but with uh, a uh, not turn based live, yeah. So like happening in real time, and also with a live dungeon master. Yes. So like somebody who's actually playing in the role of a dungeon master, being able to control the world that you're in, and like you know spawning monsters and NPCs and talking for them and all that kind of things. Um, basically providing a, a just a, a shell interface into a world that you can make your own. And that was the pitch of Neverwinter Nights. And by and large, they freaking nailed it. Like, it was remarkable. And the fact that not only it's still going, but thriving. Yeah. I mean, it literally just received a, a patch. Now, it has changed hands a couple times. The current publishers are Beamdog. They have ended support. They ended support a while ago. But... The community is so strong and Beamdog understands that this is the case that they went, okay, you know what? If you want to put stuff together, we'll put it out. We'll push it through the official channels, mm -hmm. but you have to do the work. 
and everybody and you know people in the community went okay. And so the most recent patch for Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition by Beamdog is entirely written by community members, and it is brilliant, and it is 100% user-generated, and that was the thing. There is an official campaign for Neverwinter Nights, mm-hmm. and it's fine. And there's been a couple of expansions, and they were both fine. And they're pretty boilerplate, you know. Oh, you're the chosen one. Here's the world. There's a big evil, whatever. You know, it's the standard yeah, yeah, yeah. standard RPG stuff. But for me, the appeal of Neverwinter Nights was always that you can make your own. It was a framework. It, exactly. It was a framework that you can build a world on. And I was coming into Neverwinter Nights at a time that I was playing EverQuest. Yeah. And a lot of the things that would annoy us at EverQuest, you know, being the friends that I play with, was like, well, we're doing this thing, but then there's this asshole who's here, like, you know, Power Gamer Dude 69, mm-hmm. whatever, like, you know, getting in our face and, and trying to, you know, harsh our buzz. Yeah. And we, we were all role players. We were all, like, in our character, playing our roles and all, and, you know, talking in character and stuff. And they were all, like, you know, making fun of us or whatever. Whatever it was they were, they were doing, you know, toxic, you know, douchebags, whatever, mm-hmm. doing, doing their thing. And suddenly along comes a game where you can not only make your own world but then like you can you can just decide what happens in that world and it's like this was the holy grail this yeah. was the thing we can we can we can do this we can have our own thing and it was very much the tabletop oh we've got our own world but now we don't have to schedule mm. you know every week we meet at whatever it's like it's just here all the time online. We can just join in. It's our own MMO, and it was beautiful. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I I will link to the old. We, we we've talked at length about Neverwinter Nights, so I yeah. don't really need to go into it a whole lot. But um, the fact that even today. You know, in 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 2023, I am still literally hours ago. I was I poked the server again because I haven't looked at it in a long time. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, I got to do this. I, I tweaked a couple things on the server, and I'm like, okay, you know what? Yeah, no, this is fun. I had a lot of not fun in Baldur's Gate three earlier today. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm jumping into my own Neverwinter Nights server. Yeah, and I'm doing like you know a boss kill run, and I'm like. I just had fun in this fucking 20-year-old video game that, like, I... 21-year-old. 21-year-old, thank you. Um, in, in a world that I myself made the mechanics for. Yep, and the story of and everything. It's, it is a, a, such a strange and unique gem. Amazing. You know, it is, you will never, we will never see something like Baldur's Gate, or I'm sorry, Baldur's Gate, like Neverwinter Nights again. Yeah. We will, it is, it really is lightning in a bottle. It's, we, you, the, the model that, that Neverwinter Nights had, that user created content can be unmonetized. Let me rephrase this unmonetized people can just make shit and put it up and other people can play it for free there's no financial transaction here it is just people being creative and writing stuff and making stuff for the love of making it yep that is what 
Never Winter Nights is. So your cost of entry is three dollars when it's on sale. There you go. So that's that's it. Yeah, that's, that's my number two. Nice number two. I mean, it, it's it's hard to top that, and yet there's one more. Will everyone? Everyone's got one more. Whew, that's it. We're down. That's it. That's our. That's it. That's our podcast. We're up. We're up to the our number ones. Our next. It's fantastic. Wow. Uh, Andrew's number one will be the next podcast Andrew's around for. Okay. All right. I think that will do it for us. That's it. We're um, good. Thank you, everyone. Shout out Scarlet, of course. Yes. Shout out Scarlet. I can't believe it took me this long to shout out Scarlet. We shouted out Scarlet during the puppet pit. I guess. We did. It's a, it's okay. We it, Scarlet's been shouted out at least, and this is now twice. It'll keep them listening. It's true. Um, thank you, everyone. As always, stay tuned to all the socials for all of the things Operation Puppet does. And we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Pixels and Puppets, the Operation Puppet podcast. Visit www.operationpuppet.com for all our links. Tell your friends, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts, and join us again because nothing is more entertaining than aging nerds giving their opinions on the internet. <laughs> <laughs>